So this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. There's a few ways in the English language that we use the word anticipate. We use this word to describe being being able to recognize or, or plan to meet someone's needs, to be ready to, to meet that need before the time for that need comes, uh, before it actually arrives. It's kind of like a, a head waiter anticipating the needs of their restaurant guests by planning ahead and having all the various amenities ready uh, for when their people come to their restaurant to serve their guests. It actually takes great skill. It, it takes a lot of skill to do this in a way that actually feels natural. We've all had unnatural experiences at restaurants uh, when we have one of those overzealous uh, waiters that just seems to always want to fill up our water cup after we've maybe taken a sip out of it. It's like they're there, right? They're, they're just overzealous with that. We appreciate that they take their job super serious, um, but it's like, enough already. Just relax. Let me enjoy some conversation around my table, you know, before swooping in every few moments. However, when... That waiter is experienced, and they're doing their job with skill. They're able to anticipate or find just that right moment before I even know my need. That moment before I'm even just about to think, hmm, I think I'd like a little bit more. Right? It's, it's that kind of anticipation that I'm talking about. Um, where I don't feel like I've been hovered over. I feel like I've been served. We also have a feeling or an emotion that's tied to anticipation. It's this state of nervous tension uh, that we have that sits kind of right about here, just below our ribcage, when we're expecting something to happen. We know it's coming. We're ready for it. But we're experiencing whatever stress there is of waiting for that thing, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. And like in the picture you see, it's like the kids among us that have just gone off to their classes or maybe the kids at heart, you know, that are here as well. You've got anticipation of those gifts coming at Christmas time, right, from friends or family. As we get closer and closer to December 25th, that anticipation rises. You know something is coming, and your body is getting all excited, and it's feeling it. And then, ah, December 24th, Christmas Eve, I can't even get to sleep because the anticipation is so strong, right? But another way that we use the word anticipate is to describe the process of actually waiting and looking for the signs that something is about to happen, For example, in English, we have a saying, a watched pot never boils, right? Basically, what that means is uh, if it always takes longer for a pot to boil on the stove if you're sitting there looking at it rather than going off and doing something else, right? Well, as I'm cooking, well, I should say it this way, there are distinct signs, actually, that give you hints that the water is about to boil, When I'm cooking, when I'm chopping up some vegetables, I I know when a pot of water is about to boil because there are sounds that it makes right before it boils. The water starts suddenly bubbling, getting noisy, and louder and louder and louder and louder, and people right at that point often lift the lid and go, is it boiling yet? It's like, and they're disappointed, oh, right? And they put it back on, and they have to wait longer because they let all the heat out, and now it's got to kind of come back up to temperature again. 
The right sign to anticipate that the waters come to the boil is just when the water sounds the loudest, all of a sudden it suddenly changes and that loud bubbling sound drops to almost nothing. It's like the volume knob being turned from loud to just into the background. If you lift the lid off the pot, you'll find a pot of boiling water and steam coming out of it. And it's this last way of anticipating something that I want to use to help bring us focus today. Because over the last couple of weeks for our Kingdom Come series, um, I'm going to be wrapping up things as we're changing gears into the Christmas season as we actually anticipate another season of prayer and fasting that'll just around the corner in January. It's, it's almost arrived. It's almost come. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that when the kingdom of God has come, people are healed and set free. It's a sign. People are healed and set free. There's parables that Jesus told during his earthly ministry about what the kingdom of God is like. And there's one particular that I want to focus on today. It's found in Luke 13, where you are right now. But I want to start with the account of Jesus healing on the Sabbath that's actually just prior to this particular story in Scripture. So if you can read with me, starting in verse 10, it'll come up on the screen too. Now he, now Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years, meaning that she was crippled. She was bent over and couldn't fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord, meaning Jesus, answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox, his donkey from the manger, and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, should she not be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Basically, the leader of the synagogue missed the point. He was saying, don't you know you're breaking the rules? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and healing somebody is work. It sounds absurd when you actually say it out loud, doesn't it? You know, come back next week. Come back tomorrow and be healed, but just not today, all right? I mean, Jesus confronts that mindset by saying, Sir, don't you take your animals from their stall and walk them over to the well and, or to their trough and get them so that watered for the day? Isn't that work as well? He was saying you're stuck. You're stuck in your thinking and your priorities about what's really important about following God. The lady I just healed, she is a child of God. She's in need of rest. She's in need of freedom from her afflictions. The Sabbath is a day of rest. 
Isn't it totally in line with the Sabbath to bring healing and freedom to one of God's creations so they can glorify God and be at rest from their pain and bondage? And Jesus pushed against the status quo. He questioned it. And the crowds of people witnessing the healing, they rejoiced. Finally, someone who's making sense around here. King Jesus was bringing his kingdom into the synagogue that day and turning things upside down. This morning, I want to bring that passage in the New Testament that we just read into 2018 here today. Uh, Something happened just two Sundays ago while we were praying for people after the service. And Norm, do you got your microphone there? I want to invite Burl Henny up. He's got a testimony to share. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. I'll give you a little bit of background for a bit. Ten years ago, a good ten years ago, I developed adrenal fatigue. And the adrenal affects thyroid and cerebellum, which is the back of your brain that deals with learning and memory. So it really got in the way. The medical establishment said it doesn't exist because the lab work is all fine. You don't have a problem. So I went to alternative health, and um, I found a fellow. God led me to this guy who can, he calls it contact analysis, and he, can, he uses his gizmo to say the efficiency that your organs are working at. And at that point, this would be eight years ago, I was at 40%. And so I've been on adrenal supplements and living at around 80%, 85 and, and doing well. But on November 4th, when Pastor John was the speaker, and the, he concluded his sermon, and then he said, I believe I'm supposed to pray for somebody with kidney problems. And he had a few other things too. And I thought, kidney, well, it's not exactly kidney, but it sits on the kidney. And then I, I felt inside, go. Just go. Well, I don't have time. Yeah, go. Okay. So I came up right away. And I said to them, to John and Val together, I said, well, it's technically not kidney, but it sits on the kidney. He says, that's close enough. <laughs> so <laughs> he anointed me, and they prayed over me. And, you know, it wasn't emotional. It was like business, a business thing, whatever. So on the way out, I said, okay, God, how do I know now? And, uh, and I just left it with him. I had church service in our apartment block that afternoon, so I didn't have much time to worry about it. And I sat down in the evening, and I realized I don't have a tremor anymore. The tremor is from a tired cerebellum. And I went, oh, you really are doing something here, Lord. So the next morning, okay, do I take any supplements? Ooh, that was scary. Over the next two, three days, I realized I was depending on the supplements more than I was depending on God. And he told me, transfer that dependence to me. That was tough. That was really tough. But I verbally transferred that dependence over to God. And I haven't taken any since. I was on high doses. So that was a scary move as well, in a way. So I thought, okay, I'm going off. It's two weeks before I get tested again. to go back to the doctor and test it again. And we'll see what's happening. Well, that was this past Wednesday... And he says, how have you been? I've been steady. Oh, that's good. 
Nothing exciting happening. Oh, yeah, my daughter was visiting for two weeks. I'm fine. Really? Okay. Let's check you out. So he checks me over, and he checks me over again, and he says, your numbers are really good. And I meant, really? <laughs> and he said, yeah, you're at like 92%. And I went, okay, I got something to tell you. <laughs> he had a hard time believing it, and he couldn't resist giving me a maintenance dose. And <laughs> um, he says, well, whether it's the power of prayer or whether it's biofeedback or whether it's the power within you, there's a definite shift, and it's for the better. And I just said, thank you very much, and, you know, away. So, okay, um, that was Wednesday. And so Thursday, now, historically, if I get a good day, I go for a long time and take good advantage of it because it only comes once every couple of weeks, right? So, old habit, I was feeling well, so I stayed up. And, and I was scheming away, whatever. And uh, I went to bed really, really late. The next morning, of course, I was lethargic. So I took half of the maintenance dose. And I was flying from the chandeliers. I was just singing. When God heals, he heals. I don't need any maintenance dose. And I just went, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, you know, in the Bible, when it repeats something, you know that that's pretty important. And in Psalm 107, it says three times, let them praise the Lord for, the great love, for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. And that's what we want to do. Thank you, Burl. It's kind of the same parable, isn't it? Jesus meeting someone in his church, in his synagogue, and saying, be healed. Come to rest. Come to freedom. See this area of your life open up again where it was closed. Jesus, his kingdom has come. It's here. Folks, you may never have experienced a healing like this yourselves, but it's a sign, and I'll shift back. Dennis, to my thing that I'm wearing. It's out of habit. There we go. It's like, it kind of looks funny, doesn't it, with a guy having a headpiece and using this at the same time. <laughs> but it's a sign, like many others that we've experienced and seen here in this place. It's not just Burl's testimony today. There's, others, there's other testimonies in here as well. It means Jesus' kingdom has come. He's alive. Jesus, who, who is who he says he is. And by his spirit, Jesus is still transforming lives. He's still healing people, and he's setting them free. He's still doing it. So when the kingdom of God has come, people are healed and set free. But when the kingdom of God has come, it also transforms and multiplies everything that it touches. That's the second thing. Next, Jesus is speaking to the people, and he says, okay, well, let's keep reading here. Notice there in verse 18, there's a therefore. That means that after what's just happened in the synagogue, Jesus wants to actually connect the dots. He wants to connect the dots for the people to another truth. So Jesus says, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall we compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his garden, 
And it grew and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like the eleven, like leaven that a woman took and hid or incorporated into three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Often when we hear people teach on this passage, they say something like, a mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds, but it grows into something huge, one of the world's largest plants. But if you're a gardener here in Canada, or you're a farmer, you've always scratched your head at this passage because mustard seeds only grow plants that are about this tall. I don't know, maybe I thought about that. Maybe you've never thought about that. And you've just gone, oh yeah, mustard seeds, they grow big as trees. But not me. I was like, but they only go three, four feet high. Well, to clear something up here, something that Jesus would have been connecting this, and he would have been saying, there's a plant here in the Middle East that's called a mustard bush. It's a tiny kind of evergreen tree. It starts out very tiny. They sometimes even call it a toothbrush tree. And here's what one of those tiny seeds produces. That's a mustard bush. (laughs) That's a toothbrush tree. That's what Jesus was getting at when he was telling this story. Does that make sense now? All of us Canadians here in the cold winter wondering how that little mustard seed in our, in our, in our you know, Dijonese or whatever kind of became something massive. Well, there it is. And Jesus is talking about transformation and multiplication. He's saying, when my kingdom comes and it's planted in a person's heart or in a situation, it might seem small at first, like that mustard seed, but it will grow into something that is bigger, that is much bigger than you thought, something that you would have never expected to come from something so small. It will multiply, it will transform, and it will become something that actually creates and sustains life around it. When my kingdom comes, Jesus says, it becomes the foundation. It supports life in its environment where it's planted But then Jesus also makes this direct comparison of his kingdom with the transformation that yeast contributes when it makes bread. We couldn't have bread that rises without yeast. We just couldn't have it. Yeast is a living change agent that's added to flour and left to do its work until it causes this transformation to take place And it spreads and it multiplies through that whole batch of flour. And that bread starter that you see right there, it actually works through the whole mix to become something huge and create multiple loaves of bread. In John 12, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat or a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, meaning if it goes into the ground and gets planted, it needs to die there, it bears much fruit. The early Christian church, the one that Norm was talking about this morning, who were praying during a time of persecution, that early church started with Jesus, a small seed in history, going into the ground and dying and grew exponentially to become a global movement and a faith for millions of people. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ has found its way across the entire globe. It's found its way into millions of human hearts. It's continued to multiply like that yeast, like that leaven. It's still multiplying. And I want to illustrate that truth by just using my own family, my own family growing up. See, in my immediate family, my mother was the first one to actually invite, truly invite Jesus into her life around the 1970s. Jesus met her on her journey. She invited his kingdom to reign, to take root in her life, uh, not before, but after she was married. My father, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. Uh, he never stood in the way of our family pursuing Jesus, but he said, well, it's not, it's not for me. But as the gospel, the yeast, the leaven, started to do its work in our family, if I can connect that being the flower or the context that was getting mixed, both my sister and I began to experience Jesus and follow him too. The three of us experienced then together miracles over the years that stumped my dad. Maybe Burl's miracle here stumps you here today. <laughs> um, but for, for us, it, it confronted my dad with the reality that Jesus' kingdom was in his home. Then another miracle took place as my dad's father, my grandfather, who was so angry and full of hate on the inside about so many things, who would curse God to his face, he became ill with a really fast-moving lung cancer. Before my grandfather passed away, he was radically and gloriously saved by Jesus. Jesus met him alone on a dark night. Ivy was talking about this uh, young Muslim woman who's been encountering Jesus. Same thing for my grandfather. He encountered Jesus one night in such a powerful way that it actually transformed him into another person. This once bitter and angry man who was so full of pain and hate overnight was now pouring out the love of Jesus to everyone that he met as he struggled to even breathe with his oxygen tank. It was such a big 180-degree turnaround that his friends thought that he had lost his mind. You know, it's the chemo drugs, it's the whatever, it's this. No, there was something genuine that had happened. He had been overcome by the love of God as the kingdom of God moved into his life. The hate melted away and it was replaced and transformed by love. And with the time that he had left, he wanted to make a difference. He wanted to make sure that everyone in his life knew what he had just experienced. He became an evangelist right from his chair in his home for whoever would meet with him. He wanted to make sure that they didn't waste their life like he had for so many years. He told my dad this as well. My grandfather's death was on Christmas Eve in the 1990s. It rocked my dad's world. After a season of really intense struggle, he stopped trying to control everything himself and he invited King Jesus to reign in his life. The way he says it, he said, I've been 
running away from Jesus my entire life. I keep running into a forest, hiding behind trees, and Jesus kept pulling out trees. (laughs) Till one day I got to the other side of the forest and there were no more trees to hide behind. You got me. (laughs) I'm here. I'll give my life to you. And the kingdom of God advanced into my father's life and the yeast began to do its work. Jesus is still transforming him. He's still transforming me today. But you know, there was a small seed, a a miracle that told our entire family that Jesus was genuinely at work. When my grandpa passed away at home, uh, my grandmother had boiled some cinnamon and spices in a pan. And when people came over, Uh, That was the smell that filled the entire house. And for a number of years afterwards, we kind of dreaded Christmas time because we knew that the very first time my father got a whiff of cinnamon or those spices that are around at Christmas time, they're hard to avoid, he would take an emotional nosedive that Christmas season. He'd, He'd be there for the rest of the season. But something strange occurred after my dad invited Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. Christmas was only about a month away from that moment in his life. And I remember walking into a family gathering, and immediately my heart sank, because what was on the counter? A crock pot with apple cider and the smell wafting around for everyone to smell and to enjoy. My mom, my sister, and I, we looked at each other, and we kind of braced, okay, Well, I guess this is where it's going to start. But nothing happened. There was no reaction. Um, It was like my dad didn't even notice. And this happened a few more times over the Christmas season. And then the penny finally dropped for all of us, including my dad. We realized that in this area of his life, Jesus had actually healed his sense memory, his emotions, on the very night that he gave Jesus his life. Jesus had actually disconnected my dad from his past and had given him a gift to welcome him into his kingdom. Isn't that amazing? Jesus did what only he can do. And you know what happened? Our faith grew. It multiplied. It had a ripple effect. The same thing happened. This faith ripple effect happened in the lives of a whole lot of people who had been praying for my father for years. Like the crippled woman in the synagogue who'd been crippled for 18 years and rejoiced and gave glory to God at being healed and set free. Well, we too gave glory to God and rejoiced because we'd been praying for my dad for over 20 years. That's how long it took and that's sometimes how long it takes. Like Jesus, we didn't care whether it happened on the Sabbath day or not. (laughs) We rejoiced that Jesus had set another captive free. He set my dad free. He brought him into his kingdom. That's what it looks like. It's one of the ways that the kingdom of God looks as we anticipate and look for the signs of where it is. Where's the evidence? Where can I touch the kingdom of God as it arrives and as it advances? You can anticipate. You can anticipate 
that when Jesus promises something, he's going to deliver it. You can believe that his kingdom will advance despite everything else in your life that may be telling you it's impossible. If God has said, it will. What's your story? I know there's many here. Is there evidence of the kingdom of God at work in your life? I bet there's lots. Even if you're in the midst of a struggle right now. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus yet. And it's been, it's been a struggle to see where, how does this fit into my life? What does this kingdom of God thing mean? How can this Jesus that Aaron's been talking about this morning become a reality in my life? I don't see it. Well, maybe corporately we need to ask and be refreshed. Get Jesus to open our eyes to see where his kingdom is actually at work around us. For some of you, I know on a daily basis you see it around you. You see it happening. You see miracle after miracle after miracle. In our own home, uh, as we do foster care, uh, we see miracles each day. Ladies' prayer, ladies who have been praying for, for our twins over the last number of months, after you pray, something always happens. These kids who have difficulties, these kids who have things that the doctors say, this is what they're going to live with, things are changing. Keep praying. <laughs> the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is advancing. And this is the last thing that I want to say, the third thing. When the kingdom of God, well, when the kingdom of God has come, it will succeed. It will triumph. That's how the story ends. No matter how bad it gets around us, we know as believers, Jesus, the King, will triumph. That's how the story finishes and then restarts with something even more glorious. I won't build an entire theology around five words. <laughs> it's not a good practice. But I believe I am on good standing of the whole of Scripture in declaring that the kingdom of God will triumph <laughs> in the end as Jesus comes and returns to claim his church, his bride. And I picked this up from the last five words in our passage today. Perhaps you caught it in the end of verse 21. Perhaps you saw it. The kingdom of God is like a woman who took and hid three measures of flour into a batch until it was leavened. I want to let that sink in. Not if, not maybe, but it was there until it finished and completed its work. That's what Jesus is going to do. When Jesus, what Jesus has accomplished through his birth as Emmanuel his death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead. It cannot be undone by anyone or anything. Those actions, they reinforced a plan that has been at the heart of God since before the world began. Each day, you can actually wake up with the anticipation knowing that Jesus is advancing his kingdom. He is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And like I said, things might get worse before they get better. But no matter what the news says, no matter what kind of persecution, changes in values or morals in a particular culture or society, King Jesus will succeed in accomplishing everything that he has set into motion. Amen and amen. Next Sunday, it's the start of the Advent season. It's the four Sundays before Christmas where we actually prepare our hearts in December to experience and enjoy and celebrate the birth of Jesus coming in Bethlehem, the birth of the Messiah. But that event was over 2,000 years ago. Today, we actually continue to celebrate, not just because he came, but also because he is coming again. He's coming again. It's this glorious story that we want to celebrate together. You see, if we follow Jesus, there are certain things that we should see happening around us. We should see it happening in our personal lives. We should see it happening in our church community. And they indicate, it's proof that the kingdom of God is here. And here's a list of things for you to have a look at. Healings and miracles. Check. Salvations. Check. People being set free physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Check. The gifts of the Holy Spirit at work. And in operation, here this morning, check. People who love God, love their neighbor, love each other. People who desire to spread the good news of the gospel to every nation and every generation. Those are some of the signs that we know the kingdom of God has come in a place. It's the life It's the foundation. It's that tree growing and supporting all those branches so things can come and live and grow in it. I see all of these things at work at Gateway, in the Church of Winnipeg, and beyond. It's still happening today. God is not dead. They're signposts that encourage us. They confirm that Jesus is still building his kingdom As these things happen, as Jesus told us things that would happen, we actually recognize them and go anticipate the kingdom of God is coming just that much closer. It's here, but like Dave preached a couple weeks ago, it's already, but it's not yet. There's things we're waiting for. How am I going to share the truth of the gospel by my own words, by my own actions? I suppose that's the question that we are kind of left with is how am I partnering with Jesus to see his kingdom come? How am I, as a disciple of Christ, partnering with him to see his kingdom come in my family, at work, at school, whatever sphere that I belong in? He's commissioned us. He's commanded us to go. He's commanded us to expand his kingdom by sharing the truth of who he is with the people around us so that they can hear that the yeast can keep doing its work And they can follow him too. How's that mustard seed growing in your own family? Maybe you've got some areas of stubborn soil that just don't want to yield, don't want to break. Jesus is still working. Keep praying. The kingdom is still advancing. How are you allowing the power of God, that yeast, that leaven, the truth of the gospel, to do its work in your circumstances? Because this December, I guarantee, we prayed about it this morning as you let us, Norm. 
I guarantee there are ways that Jesus wants to, us to partner with him. Tomorrow, the week, the next few weeks, the next month, into next year, he wants to partner with us and empower you by his Holy Spirit to advance his kingdom. You personally and us together as a church. You know, like getting gifts at Christmas. When was the last time that you felt that excitement and anticipation that God was about to do something? When was it? Was it yesterday? Was it a year ago? In our home, we have to live with that feeling nearly every day. And that's not out of pride, that's out of necessity. As we step out in faith, Wilma and I know that we actually can't do anything without God actually providing the resources that we need in order to do what he's asked us to do. He has to show up or we're hooped. We're hooped. (laughs) If we were gamblers, and we're not, we've placed all our bets on Jesus. He keeps coming through. He keeps showing up. We live with that anticipation of, God, Jesus, what are you going to do today? Are you listening to the Lord as he helps you anticipate and prepare to meet the needs of others? Are you sensitive to his Holy Spirit speaking to you? It's like that waiter in the restaurant. You know, people sometimes think, that waiting on the Lord means sitting on their couch at home waiting for the phone to ring or an email to come. That's not what waiting on the Lord means. Waiting on the Lord is actually active. It's like that maitre d'. It's like that waiter or that waitress with that napkin over their arm coming to the Lord's table and saying, Lord, is there anything? I'm waiting on you. No, not right now. All right, then I'll go about my business over here. Lord, is there anything that you need? Yes? All right. I'll be right right away. That's waiting on the Lord. That's part of what that means. It's active. Are you sensitive to what the Lord's saying so that you can anticipate? You can actually feel the Holy Spirit kind of bubbling up inside you like that bubbling pot of water getting ready to boil and go, it's time. And you jump in and you take advantage of that moment. As Norm preached last week, um, he said, give your yes. Keep yielding your life to King Jesus. Give him your yes, and you will know the joy and the pleasure that comes from seeing the kingdom of God advance in front of your eyes. It might feel like some things happen like that, and other things seem to take forever. But it will come. In the coming weeks, we're actually going to get really practical about this by teaching on the primary vehicle that we use, the method that we have of partnering with God in advancing his kingdom. It's the same powerful and miraculous tool that was used in partnership with other people to bring my family into relationship with God. For you, in bringing other people into relationship with God, this morning... As we joined our hearts together, it's the simple tool known as prayer. And it is powerful. We can't neglect it. 
Our prayer summit is meant to be the engine that actually drives what we do here. And I trust that we'll be able to learn and we'll be able to grow together personally and corporately and grow in what it means to be a house of prayer for all nations and see his kingdom advance.